Hello everyone, I'm here with Laura Blotter. Laura, welcome to the Ward family. To get us started here, how long have you been in the Ward? So that question actually will tell you a little bit about myself. I grew up in this stake. This is a stake where I was baptized. Uh, it's where I uh, left to go on my mission, where I've been married, raised my family. So I have been basically in this ward in all of its different iterations ever since I think we moved here when I was seven years old. And I won't tell you the number of years because then people will be able to do some math. <laughs> but basically most of my life. You were mentioning that you grew up in this ward. Any favorite childhood memories, either in the church or outside of the church? Uh, yes. So this area, my family, my mother's side, uh, came here back in the 1960s. Um, actually, actually, no, I take that back, the late 1950s. So my grandparents moved here from Utah and uh, founded two businesses, one being Pinewood School and the other being Garden Supply. And because of those two businesses, all of their five children and all of their children, for the most part, uh, while I was growing up, all remained in this area. So as far as memories of this area, many, many that involve extended family, great families that I grew up with in our ward um, and in our community. Uh, so I remember actually when our stake uh, building was built and um, and the Jordan building was renovated. So as far as memories go, I remember when um, most of this area were apricot orchards and farmland. So I've actually been here before it was known as Silicon Valley. So I've seen a lot of changes. Uh, it makes me feel kind of old, but it, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it's gone, it's, it's changed a lot. But as far as memories growing up, um, I mentioned my extended family, and they were a huge, huge part of my life. Uh, my first cousins, my aunts and uncles, my grandparents, all my heroes. I just, to this day, just think the world of them. Great examples for me as far as being um, just good people, hard workers, uh, dedicated to whatever cause or whatever they were working on, great parents. Um, we had a lot of great family traditions, especially that revolved around the holidays. We always spent Christmas Eve together. We um, at one time did a progressive dinner because everyone lived so close to each other. Fourth of July, uh, Thanksgivings, we went to my grandparents' beach house down in Aptos. So lots of great memories with um, extended family. And I would have to say between my membership in the church and that strong connection with my extended family that provided a really, really stabilizing anchor. I'm grateful that my children can have that somewhat replicated because the area has changed so much and it's gotten so costly to live here. A lot of my family and others have moved out, but I still have cousins and their kids. So we still have um, a good family presence here that's really important. And you were mentioning that you got uh, baptized as a child, and but how how did your faith development uh, take place as a kid? Did you mm -hmm. kind of always believe, or did you kind of struggle with it? So it, it talks in the scriptures about spiritual gifts, and I realize, and I am very grateful that I have the gift to believe. And um, for a, you know a long time, I kind of just took that for granted. The gospel just made sense, and I also always felt so welcome in the church community. Again, I know that is a huge blessing. I have uh, goodly parents who gave a great example of really serving within the ward, um, whether it be in their callings or just taking people meals and at the time visiting, teaching home teachers, 
just uh, just all of those things that they did <clears throat> to add to the community that I watched and try to emulate, but also uh, receiving all of that. So having, first of all, a testimony in the gospel, but then also feeling the, uh, the connection with the community has always been a huge part of my life. Now, sadly, you know, I talked about how much my family meant to me and how much the gospel means to me. My grandparents actually left the church long before I was born, and um, some of my mom's siblings didn't, weren't really raised in the church. And uh, so that was always something that really caused a lot of sadness for me because uh, I have such a testimony in eternal families, and, and I don't know what that means. You know, I know that this is just act two of our lives, and there's a lot more that's yet to come, but there was rarely a day that didn't go by that I didn't pray that my grandparents and um, some other members of my family would, would come back to the church. And, you know, I still have that hope. Um, as I said, this is act two. So uh, I think seeing that and just having that great desire for them to be a part of the gospel helped me realize how much it meant to me, if, if that makes sense. And uh, one of the initial parts of my testimony one of the first things that I can remember were that, where I, I just knew it was true, was in regards to my relationship with my Heavenly Father. I remember even before I was baptized, being kind of casual about praying, and I would have been probably seven years old. Yeah, this was, yeah, it's such a vivid memory. I, I, I remember my room, where the house we were living in. Um, I was seven years old, and... I just started going to bed and I just had this thought, you better pray, you know, and I thought, oh yeah, I haven't really been praying all that much, you know, I just not thinking about it. And I remember getting on my knees and just being overcome with this love and this peace. And I just had this um, overwhelming feeling of my Heavenly Father knows I'm there. He knows that I'm kneeling down and praying. And I just had this thought in my head that was just, you know, I missed you. And I just, I remember the tears coming to my eyes and just feeling this immense warmth and love from my Heavenly Father. And that was probably the first time where I really realized, okay, this is, this is true. This is not, uh, there really is a Heavenly Father who loves me and I do love him. And that was a really special moment. And I've had many since then where that connection and that relationship with my Heavenly Father has has grown and um, but I if I were to think back that was probably the the time where I really thought okay this this is this is right thank you for sharing that that's such a wonderful experience that you had and if we fast forward a little bit uh, so you go off to college you go on a mission mm -hmm. uh, maybe tell us a little bit about that and how kind of the journey continued <laughs> right. um, as, a, as a young adult. So I was quoting in a class I taught a couple weeks ago from Elder Uchtdorf about different pillars of our testimony. And that really resonates with me because I really do view my testimony as separate pillars. I, I know everyone is going to have different analogies for their testimony, but I do think that um, I do think of them in terms of pillars. And um, he talked about each of the pillars of our testimony that we should really focus on strengthening. One of them being uh, that relationship with um, our Heavenly Father. 
and um, another, and I talked about that and how that's grown. Another one is um, our relationship with Jesus Christ. That, at first, you know, just as a, as a child differentiating between my Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, they were just, you know, I was, I, I, I was, I, I knew they were separate, but, you know, I kind of just thought of them as one. It wasn't really until my patriarchal blessing that said specifically to me, develop a close relationship with your Savior and your brother, Jesus Christ. And so thinking of him as my brother and thinking um, and just learning more about the atonement, that started coming in my later teens and especially as a missionary where you're talking about Jesus Christ all the time and teaching about him and preaching about him. And so that's where my that pillar was strengthened. Uh, another pillar that uh, Elder Uchtdorf mentioned that I've that has given me strength too is my testimony in Joseph Smith. That was one of the last things to come because, I mean, let's face it, I just thought that's just weird, <laughs> you know, angels and golden plates and you know, it's one of those things where I was grateful for that spiritual gift of just believing because. Um, I just kind of set that one aside, but I had such a testimony in my Heavenly Father and my brother Jesus Christ. That one came a little later, and that actually didn't really come until uh, I was a missionary again. And I was, um, at the time, we had set discussions that we taught, and Joseph Smith was part of the very first lesson. And it was actually in the MTC when we were doing a role play, and I was teaching that discussion as I was reading those scriptures in um, the Pearl of Great Price uh, about Joseph Smith's uh, first vision, as I was reading those scriptures, I was just overcome with the Holy Ghost and just saying, this is true. So I was having my own conversion moment <laughs> as a missionary that uh, I later saw other people have. Um, the Book of Mormon, um, Again, I'll have to attribute that to my mission. But I'll have to say with Come Follow Me, since that has started um, a couple of years ago, my testimony and those pillars have all been strengthened as I personally and as a family, we have focused on those lessons and uh, have grown to appreciate the scriptures and all of these components of, found in the Doctrine and Covenants, Book of Mormon, New Testament, now Old Testament, uh, what an inspired program that and it really has increased my testimony. And where did you serve your mission? I served at the time as well, the, the mission no longer exists. It was the Bordeaux, France mission. And I was there at a really exciting time. Um, at the time, there were about five missions in France. Now that's gone down to two. Um, it was a brand new mission at, uh, with um, or about 150 missionaries. Um, kind of give or take. And I remember my mission president telling us at the time, France will never have this many missionaries again. And this was the time for France. And boy, did we feel that spirit. It was an exciting time to be there. And uh, that mission did not have any stakes in it, um, which there I got a testimony of what it means to be in a stake because I could see... I, after growing up in such a strong, strong stake, the Los Altos stake, and then going to a place in the world where there were no stakes, you really could see the difference. And so a lot of our focus and our goals were all geared towards creating stakes there in that part of France, which we did. <laughs> and um, 
how long ago? So I think it's been about eight years or nine years ago. We went, I went back to France for the 20 year reunion of that first Bordeaux steak that was organized. That was just such an amazing moment to see there's just a different feeling. Uh, and so to, to leave France when there weren't any stakes, to go back 20 years later and see how the church had been established and really solidified uh, was a great testimony and the importance of being in a stake in Zion. Yeah, I've always been amazed myself at just seeing, reflecting back on little seeds that get planted and then enough time goes by and whether they're literal <laughs> seeds in the ground and, you know, things growing and over the passage of time becoming big things or, you know, spiritual things. Mm -hmm. uh, it is pretty remarkable how mm -hmm. life works some of those times when we can see it in the rearview mirror yeah. in yeah. that way. Uh, so you served a mission, you came back. Uh, what were you studying in, in college? So when I left on my mission, I was still kind of floundering, like, what do I want to major in? I was kind of going towards English because of, I mentioned earlier, my grandparents started this school here in the area, this independent school. I taught a lot at that, and I thought, well, you know, I, I could go into education, but I thought, no, that's not glamorous enough. You know, who wants to be a fuddy-duddy old school teacher, right? <laughs> So, um, but it wasn't until I was on my mission where I just thought, who are you fooling? You want to be a teacher. You've always wanted to be a teacher and you know you're a good one. So as soon as I got back from my mission, I had that purpose. So I graduated in English teaching and uh, got my teacher credential and then came back and worked at Pinewood. Kind of been here ever since. And where did you study? Uh, Brigham Young University. Okay, great. And uh, so you come back. Uh, you're, you're teaching at Pinewood at this point, and so uh, what's been that like? Have you, you've been at Pinewood kind of ever since? And... I have, yeah. So as a student and now as a teacher, and then as a teacher, now as an administrator. So I came back, um, I graduated from BYU, wasn't married yet, um, and I had explored going to other areas of the country because I thought I could go anywhere, and this was back in the early... 1990s and the economy at that time was we were going through a big recession and so either people were going back to school there weren't many jobs to have so a lot of it was actually hard to get into the teaching field and I have to explain that now because right now they're taking anyone to be a teacher but back then it was really jobs were really hard to find so I looked in Washington DC I kind of looked in Boston those were the two places where there was a large concentration of young adults in the church that was that was my barometer of where I wanted to go, and I thought it would be fun to go back east. I got a job offer at a, at a public at the Fairfax, was it Fairfax? Yeah, somewhere in Virginia, near Washington, D.C., but only as a substitute teacher. And I thought, oh, you know, it would be fun here, but it's, at that time the cost of living there was worse than it was here. But, so I thought I'd be struggling, and the whole reason I want to be out here is so I could travel and explore, but, you know, just on a substitute teacher salary, living in this high cost, it just doesn't make sense. Which, uh, and so I knew I had a place to live. I knew I had a job here back home, even though that didn't sound very exciting. But I did learn something about answers to prayers because I was fasting, I was praying, going to the temple, just where I've got the world that's open to me, where should I go, I, you know, what should I do? And having been on a mission where where I really felt like I could, I could recognize the Spirit and know what the Lord wanted me to do and following all that, 
I was a little discouraged that I wasn't getting any clear answers. And I thought, how could the Lord not be giving me an answer about where I should get my first job? Because that could determine so much about where I'm going to be. And and looking back on that, um, the fact that it was the most logical decision to go home, the fact that that door was clearly open where there was just, you know, this kind of a little opening, uh, I learned that a lot of times the Lord will just let us use our brain and our logic to answer our questions. And um, and if it's really wrong, he'll direct us otherwise. But uh, obviously that's turned out well for me because here I still am and it's been a great place to uh, raise a family and also be close again to cousins and my parents and some of my siblings. And so in terms of family, you, you meet your husband. He's also a return missionary. Mm-hmm. He's a Eagle Scout. Yep, yep. <laughs> Scouter are, extraordinaire. In fact, that's how I got to know Greg. Um, so I came back, was in the single adult ward here, which was another great place to be a single adult um, at that time. He is a bit older than I am. At the time, I didn't know it when we first started going out. But he had kind of been there, done that with the young adult ward. So he was going to, actually, our family ward, where my little brothers were. And he was their scoutmaster. And I'd heard about this amazing scoutmaster, Greg Blotter. And I had actually met him very briefly from a friend from a friend. He doesn't remember that, but I do. But... um, so uh, we were at a party of, of a joint friend, and he came up to me and he said, Hey, I'm your brother's scoutmaster. <laughs> now, what a line. <laughs> but then we just ended up talking like solidly for like the next hour or two. I mean, it was just, it was so easy to talk to him. And then that led to a date, and you know, a year later we were, we were married. But, um, so yes, and and interestingly enough, he went to Montreal French speaking on his mission. So we sort of both speak French. At least at one point, we we're both fluent. And as time has gone on, how has your testimony, or how do you feel like your relationship with heavenly parents changed as you became a parent mm-hmm. yourself, and as you've created this family here on mm-hmm. Earth? Well, you just asked me my relationship with my heavenly parents. Mm -hmm. Notice before I was focusing on my relationship with my heavenly father. And I think part of that's just the age that I am. And and, but um, I have really appreciated not that it was ever an issue with me, but I've appreciated over the last few years in in conferences and in the young men's and young women's theme, how there is more of a focus of having heavenly parents and how it's a unit and how I have a heavenly mother as well as a heavenly father. And that uh, I love. There's a completeness to that and and more of a model as far as our family goes and the way Greg and I uh, work together and, and raise our children. Um, so that just expanding that paradigm of, of the Godhead and, and what that means. And then I've always felt with our children that they are not mine that they tr- these are stalwart, amazing spirits who have come with their own individual pre-existent experiences, and they have come here to serve their purpose and uh, with their strengths and their challenges and all of that. And yes, I'm their mother, but truly I'm just a steward over these amazing spirits and that they really do come from heavenly parents who are divine and it's just a 
tremendous blessing and honor and responsibility to be a parent. And that was being a mother. I, I, I found that I'm somewhat unique all growing up, even as a little girl, everything I did, everything I saved, every lesson I took and notes that I took was always like, okay, I want to share this with my children. I want to share this with my children. So it, it was very focused on me becoming a mother. So as I was getting older and older, and first of all, not getting married, I was 27 when I got married. And then it took us a while to have that first child. Um, so I was in my 30s when I first had Anne. And um, after a lifetime of just preparing, just I just want to be a mother. Um, it was oh, it was just fabulous to finally have that blessing to be a mom to be a mom, and I really do look at it as a blessing and a privilege, and again as a stewardship. As we go through life, some things go the way that we think that they're going to go. Other things, we kind of have some curveballs thrown at us, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we knew that on some level mm-hmm. um, in the pre-mortal life, but it still takes us by surprise, you know, mm-hmm. when those things happen here on Earth and. So as life has thrown you curveballs, if you will, or, you know, various types of challenges, how have you dealt with that? You know, are there certain parts of the gospel or just things in general that have been helpful to you in terms of dealing with that? I'll go back to the, my relationship with my heavenly parents and my brother, Jesus Christ. I don't. I, I honestly can't comprehend how I could have gone through things without that. And, I, and I've and i had a very blessed life. And yes, I've had some real tragedies and some hardships and some profound disappointments. Um, but having that gospel perspective that that's why we came, one of the reasons we came, you know, uh, is to be refined. And it's through those types of experiences that we are refined and we can get through it when we take upon the yoke of, our, of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and in, during the heartbreaks of my life and looking back at the hand of God and um, I guess the healing balm of the atonement, it's so, so apparent. I, I will have to go back to that. And then again, being surrounded by such great people. I talked about the, my relationship with my Heavenly Father. I talked about that prayer that I had and some of those, just some of those very personal experiences where I knew that a Heavenly Father was aware of me. But I've also seen um, other times during heartbreak where I may have not felt that direct connection, but I felt that love from my heavenly parents through other people, having people just there at the right time, getting a phone call right when I needed it. And so basically angels here on earth that I have felt my heavenly parents love through other people. And that's really carried me through. I feel the same way. And I mean, you were talking about uh, your immediate family, right? Mm-hmm. But we also have a ward family that mm-hmm. we're a part of as well. And, and obviously one big element of that is being able to support one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you think about being a member of a ward family, uh, what are some of the things that come to mind to you about our particular ward family and your part in it and also the, the, the role that other people play in that? Well, again, it's... To me, it's a place, <laughs> I think it's probably one of the very few people in this church that truly, truly mourned not having three hours of church on Sunday. <laughs> when that announcement was made, I literally felt physically ill because I loved those three hours each Sunday, serving and being with other ward members. Um, 
And just hearing perspectives and relying on their strength, getting these great lessons, but also going and serving. Uh, I've, for the first time right now, I don't have a calling where that that has a responsibility on a Sunday. And, and that's weird to me, but I, I loved going and serving on Sunday. Oftentimes, most of those callings have been with the youth and with the children. And I mean, who wouldn't love that? And, and just the growth that comes from doing things that might you wouldn't normally do. Um, so there's the opportunity to serve that I love about being in the Ward family. I love uh, being surrounded by truly, truly amazing people, diverse people, people at different state levels and different periods in their lives. Um, there's not too many communities that, that bring people that are that different all together. And because I've been in this stake for so long, I've loved our leaders. And it just seems like, whether it be through Leaf Society presidents or bishops or state presidents, to see how the you'll have this presidency that's so strong in an area and that really lifts a ward up. And then their replacements will be completely different, but their strengths are just what we need at the time. And so when you look at the whole picture of all of these leaders and their strengths, as well as their, their weaknesses, it's just how it's formed um, a great ward and a great stake and um, how we've benefited from such talented, talented people not just as leaders, but just serving with each other. One last question is, you were talking earlier about the influence that your parents and grandparents had on you. And as you think about your children, your great-grandchildren, you know, future mm -hmm. generations, if you will, are there certain things that you would want to share with them or that you want them to know were really important to you? Mm -hmm. Just what I've said, stay, um, stay committed. Uh, I, I hope, you know, the jury is still out. You know, life, as we, you said, throws curveballs. And um, one of the signs of the last day is that even the most elect will fall. And that's uh, because of that sadness that I had with my heroes, my grandparents who, who um, had left the church, although they were still great people and committed and such great examples. I, I, I wanted so much for them to have that. You can imagine how much I would want that for my children and for my grandchildren and posterity. And there, I, yes, I have questions about the gospel, but as I focus on those pillars of my testimony, it seems like as I put my time and my energy and my thoughts and my study into strengthening those pillars, a lot of the other questions that I have eventually just fall into place. And so I would say, stick with it. <laughs> um, as I think it was Elder Ballard said, stay in the boat, <laughs> stay in the boat of the gospel, because there really is no better way. I really, I really, yes, people are happy outside of the gospel, but having that perspective, having the opportunity to serve like we do, um, having an outlet where we can show open devotion to our heavenly parents and to our brother Jesus Christ. There's, there's nothing that's comparable, nothing that will be as rewarding. Um, and then the, the relationships that are formed and it brings such a richness and fullness to our lives. So stick with it is what I would say. And then um, I actually did bring a quote. Uh, this was Sister Wendy Watson Nelson, um, our prophet's um, wife 
who wrote a book and she talks about angels. And this is what President Joseph F. Smith says, when messengers are sent to minister to the inhabitants of the earth, they are not strangers, but from the ranks of our kindred and friends. In like manner, our fathers and mothers, brothers, sisters, and friends who have passed away from this earth, having been faithful and worthy to enjoy these rights and privileges, may have a mission given them to visit their relatives and friends upon the earth again bringing from the divine presence messages of love, of warning, of reproof and instruction to those whom they have learned to love in the flesh. So I'm going to be one of those angels, hopefully, to my progenitors. I hope that they could pray to Heavenly Father to have me dispatched <laughs> to help them um, during these times and to learn, ab learn about um, our family, uh, even though we may have passed on. I know that um, through some very, very personal experiences where I've felt the presence of my paternal grandmother, one who died long before I was ever born, where she, her, I felt her presence so strong at a time that was so, so rough for me that, um, that we're all, we're all linked. We're all combined. Um, this life is again, just act two. As we move on to other acts, but we're still, we're still linked together and, and to get strength from that. I know I have, and I hope I can provide that strength for those who come after me. Well, I think that's a, a wonderful place for us to end today. And so, Laura, thank you so much for sitting down and, and taking the time to talk. And I really hope that other people in the ward use this as an opportunity to get to know you better and hopefully uh, connect with you and, and have conversations with you. And and also just thank you for being such an important and great member of our ward family and all the things that you've done and continue to do to serve within our ward. We really appreciate it. Thanks.